You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. As Paul said, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made it myself a slave to everyone. I think I said a, a couple of times this week to Virginia that this is a great text. It's just a wonderful description of the Apostle Paul's understanding of mission, understanding of himself. He's been talking about himself. He's been talking about his freedom. His freedom to be all things to all people so that by all possible means he might save some. And yet, Paul also talked of himself as a slave of Christ, serving under the law of Christ. Obviously, there is a kind of dialectic, uh, a tension here, between Paul's understanding of freedom and Paul's understanding of sacrifice and service and mission. In 1520, Martin Luther, the reformer, wrote a small pamphlet entitled The Freedom of a Christian. And he began this way. A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. What was shocking about the pamphlet was that Martin Luther saw in the Apostle Paul the model for all Christians. We are free, Lord of all, subject to none. And we are dutiful servants of all, subject to all. So that the model of the Apostle becomes the model of the Christian. I am free. But Paul's freedom is so different from how the world is defining freedom today. Justice Anthony Kennedy famously said, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of life. At the heart of liberty is the right to define your own concept of meaning and purpose and the mystery of life. That is not true. That is not the definition of liberty and freedom for you to define your own meaning and the mystery of human existence. Meaning is not something that you and I create in the self. Meaning is what we receive through the revelation of God, through the witness of the Son, through the power of the Holy Spirit. A very secular novelist, David Foster Wallace, understood the danger of this kind of definition of freedom. He wrote, The freedom to be lords of our own tiny, skull-sized kingdoms, alone at the center of all creation, does not compare, he reasoned, to the really important freedom that involves attention and awareness and discipline and being able truly to care about other people 
and to sacrifice for them over and over in a myriad of petty, unsexy ways every day. In Christ, we have a freedom from sin and death, from guilt and estrangement, from ignorance of truth, from bondage to habit and vice. In Christ, we are free to love God, love others, love ourselves. Freedom is filled with purpose and mission and community. The Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor, who's done so much work on the secular age, Professor Emeritus from McGill University, writes, we tend to live in our heads, trusting our disengaged understanding of experience, of beauty, even the ethical. We have found the source for all of this, Taylor writes, in the self. Well, Paul envisioned a an embodied truth, a truth that worked itself out in character, in actions, a truth that was embodied in the body of Christ, the church, not the lone individual, the freedom to be lords of our own tiny skull-sized kingdoms. And he is writing to a church that championed the kind of freedoms that we ourselves talk about in our day and age. The freedom of the self. The freedom to separate body and spirit and soul. So the body's free to do whatever it pleases. And this is why Paul says, flee sexual immorality. Flee idolatry. Because Paul is not separating body and soul, secular and spiritual, physical and spiritual. He's combining them, integrating them into a meaningful, embodied freedom. And he does it in this paragraph in just such a beautiful way. Whenever Paul speaks about himself, you know, though I am free, and in, as was covered last week in the sermon, he asked, what, 12 times, don't I have the right, don't I have the right, don't I have the right? All to the conclusion, rhetorically, yes, you've got the right, but I'm not going to use that right. Because I don't want my rights to get in the way of my freedom to live, to proclaim, to embody the gospel. He's an object lesson for faithfulness. It's not that Paul wants to talk about himself but he wants to use himself as an example of the kind of freedom that he sees Christians having. This embodied truth you know, plays itself out in so many ways in the way Paul refers to the church and his relationship to the church. You know, in Thessalonians, he refers to himself as a nursing mother. that the nurture and the care and the love and the 24-7 cannot be pictured in any more extreme way than the nursing mother. And he said, that's how I am to you. I preach the way I do because of my mother. My dad died at a young age, at 48, and... Uh, Virginia and I moved mom from Buffalo, New York to Wheaton, from Wheaton to Bloomington, Indiana, where we served in a church, from Bloomington, Indiana to Denver, Colorado, where we served in a church, 
to San Diego, where she lived for 12 of our 14 years there. She was in a flat, a second floor flat, about a mile from the church. I had breakfast with her twice a week. I'd get in really early, and then around 8, I would go over to her place for breakfast. Oh, we would argue over sermons. Fiercely. She would drive any ounce of triviality out of my sermons. Outside of Virginia, she's probably had a bigger impact than how I preach. And just the, the sense of a, a theological mind without the theological scholarship, but nevertheless a real passion for Christ. As one of my professors said, well, you learned your theology at your mother's knee. And he was most certainly right. Paul here is like a 24-7 nursing mother to the church. And what I find interesting is, his thesis here is, I've become all things to all people so that I by all possible means might save some. To the Jew, I'm going to talk and understand where they're coming from in terms of the importance of the law and the rituals and the liturgy, and I'm going to speak to them in that light. And to the Gentile who doesn't know that Jewish law, I'm going to really communicate in a way that is effective and biblical and gospel-centered in such a way that they can appreciate the wisdom of God in creation and through his revelation. To the weak, I'm going to become weak. It's interesting he doesn't say to the strong, I'm going to become strong. Uh, Paul, I think, was always realizing that it was going to be the gospel from the ground up. And if the elite were going to win and understand the gospel, it was going to be because of the testimony through uh, the reaching of the poor and all aspects of culture. But with all that freedom, to be for the Jew, to be for the Gentile, to be for the weak, Paul really took the church at Corinth to task in three ways, which I can summarize fairly quickly here, so don't panic. Um, The first is his insistence on manual labor and self-support. He said, my commission is to preach the gospel. That's no big deal. That's not a real personal glory for me. That's my commitment. That's who I am. But you aren't going to take away from me the Corinthian wealthy that were really looking for kind of a person they could be patron to and support and have as their man. So you're not going to take that away from me. I want to be free to preach the gospel, beholden to no one, in no one's pocket, no one using me to control. I want to be free to preach the gospel. And so his hands would have been stained with leather oils that were used to, in his tent-making work, his manual labor. It, It was like he had mechanic hands. Most of us who preach and teach do not have mechanic hands. We've got fine computer white hands. But Paul didn't have that. And in a way, he implicitly sanctifies manual labor by his example, which is a wonderful work ethic testimony that Paul had, so that no one could take credit for his ministry and no one could control him, only the Lord. He was a slave of Christ, not a slave of man. 
Now, the second way that he took issue with the Corinthian believers in becoming all things to all people, he did not agree with the social stratification of their culture. Of elites and poor, he envisioned the body of Christ, the household of faith, of being one, across slave and free, Gentile and Jew, male and female, rich and poor, that one new person in Christ Jesus. That was his mission strategy. And that's the strategy that he honed in on with the Corinthians. That oneness in Christ. And then the third way, meaningful self-discipline of subjecting your body. Body, mind, and soul being committed to Christ. Not just living in your head. The freedom of your skull-sized kingdom but an embodied truth in character, in action, and in life. This is why I think he said to the church at Rome, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. In our church in San Diego, we had several Navy SEALs. And when you would drive along the strand in Coronado, you would see the Navy SEALs training and going through what they called Hell Week. And it wasn't so much to get them in shape physically as to get them in shape mentally and emotionally and psychologically. I do think that there is an actual physical aspect to true spirituality. It's lived out in how we eat. It's, it's lived out in the discipline of prayer. It's lived out in how we sleep. It's lived out in how we recreate. It's part of what it is to be free in Christ. This past week, I came across a quote from Wesley Hill, who's been to this church several times to speak. And he writes, More and more I have a sense that what many of us need is a new conception of our perseverance in faith. We need to reimagine ourselves and our struggles. The temptation for me is to look at my bent and broken sexuality and conclude that with it I will never be able to please God, to walk in a manner worthy of His calling, to hear His voice. But what if I had a conception of God-glorifying faith, holiness, and righteousness that included within it a profound element of struggle and stumbling? Slowly, ever so slowly, I am learning that my struggle to live faithfully before God in Christ with my homosexual orientation is pleasing to Him. And I'm waiting for the day when my labor of trust and hope and self-denial be crowned with His praise. Well done, good and faithful servant. The Lord Jesus will say, Father, into the joy, into the joy of your Master. Enter into the joy of your Master. This past week, I talked with a friend of mine for many years now, Grace Lamb. I first met his, her husband uh, in Denver, Colorado, when Dan was on a mission to begin a Bible school in Mongolia. Grace, and La Grace Lamb and her husband Dan were in a Bible study in London when he was stationed there uh, giving an executive for a construction company, and they were building buildings on five continents at the time, and he was centered in London. Well, through that, he made a lot of money. But at John Stott's uh, weekend retreat, 
Grace and Dan became convinced that God wanted them really involved in kingdom work. And from that point on, Dan began using his time and his effort and his money to go where no one else was going. He had an aptitude for being able to get into cultures that no one else was going to. He started Nam Pen Bible School. He started Union Bible Training Center in Mongolia. Very involved. He died in a plane crash now many years ago, about 20. And Grace, who was a pharmacist who knew nothing about uh, trusts and funds and investment, all of that, began to educate herself. And today there's hundreds of pastors in Vietnam and schools in Cambodia and Mongolia and in Myanmar and Burma in which Christians are being supported by this ministry. It's all under the radar. But what impresses me is that embodied freedom, that body, mind, and soul, that whole life committed, and working itself out. Sometimes it may be in extraordinary ways, like Wesley Hill and Grace Lamb, but in other ways, for us, for most of us, it's fairly ordinary. But it's that day-to-day -day commitment in the professions, the vocations, the relationships that the Lord has called us in. So Paul proved his freedom, his freedom in his work ethic, his mission strategy, and his personal self-discipline. As he writes, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And as he said, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who works in you to will and to act in accord with his good purpose. We all know the verse here. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.